Well, how's everybody doing? Yeah, I, I'm excited about today. I think it's going to be really good. And um, We do have a lot of kids up at camp. There's over 400 young people that are joined together from all over Southern California. And uh, they said the, the weather's nice up there. What am I doing here? Okay, the weather's nice here up there, but they said the buildings have no air conditioner, so they're hot. But uh, they're going to have a great time on just praising God for that. And uh, uh, I, I just, I, I'm really praying for some breakthrough for some of those young people. They need breakthrough. They need breakthrough. And so I'm really praying for that, and it's uh, going to be good. Um, you know, you don't get the chance to see uh, Greg and Deanna Bryant, but you know that we prayed for them, uh, for her, for cancer. And uh, the doctor sent a report back that she's cancer-free. So, uh, yeah, and I just, I just praise God for that. And, uh, you know, last week uh, I said something about Joel. Joel, you're here, and him and Billy, his wife, they were here for years and years and years. And, uh, but you're standing in the back. Wave your hand there so everybody can see. But he's out here visiting from the East Coast where there's no humidity and the weather is always in the 70s, and uh, no, that's a lie. <laughs> you know? uh, how many know we got some humidity going on right now? And uh, so, but we, we, if you live in a desert, you know, you have all sorts of weather. So those of you that are new, welcome to the uh, weather patterns, and if you don't like our weather, just stay around uh, a week or two and it'll change. So maybe, I don't know, it's summertime right now. So who's ready to study God's Word? You ready to study God's Word? I'd like us to pray because we're talking about Moses, how God made a champion, the making of a champion. And how many know that God has a process that he takes us through to make us into his image? And so we're talking about Moses, and we're going to keep talking about him. So today, today, Jesus, we ask that you would open up our hearts, our minds. Holy Spirit, we're just so thankful that you're here right now. Lord, we need you. We need you. And Lord, we just pray that you would just minister to every person here, whether they're watching in person or they're watching online. We just ask that um, you would just minister to every person and their needs. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. amen. So some of you, it's good morning. And if you're watching from uh, online, uh, you know, usually over the course of a week, there's about 500 people that watch online. And uh, so some of you, it's good afternoon or good evening, however that may be. And so we welcome every one of you uh, this uh, morning, evening, whatever it is that you're watching. And um, we're going to talk today, you know, week number one, as we were talking about Moses, we kind of gave an introduction in the book of Exodus of what uh, Egypt was like 3,500 years ago. There was a guy named Pharaoh, and Pharaoh had, you know, you see some uh, systemic racism going on. He didn't like the Jewish people, so, um, you know, he brought in slavery. That didn't work. He decided to do genocide, you know, and having the midwives kill the baby, and that didn't work, that they finally, you know, just basically went to state-sponsored murder. And it's kind of interesting, the midwives at that time were saying, you know, I'd rather obey God than man. How many know that's a good stance to have? That I think there will come times in our life when we will have to say, I really believe that, I really believe that in our lifetime, we might have to say sometime, I would rather obey God than men. And it's coming down the pike. You know, it's like you're going to see it where, you know, the heat's going to get turned on and people are going to try to force you to do things that you don't want to do and you know what, I'm, I lift my hands today and say, I'd rather obey God than, than man. And so, and it's interesting about the uh, chapter one of Exodus. It, it says that the midwives did what God told them to do. And I love that little phrase because it says, and God gave them families. And, and that just has really just resonated with me that in the worst of times, God said, have kids. You know, that having kids is... His statement, uh, it's our statement of faith that we still believe in an almighty God. And so week number two, we talked about how God had a plan and wove it all together. And isn't it interesting how God took everything? He took the king's uh, edict. He took the baby's beauty, the mother's pl placing the baby in the ark and the bulrushes. The baby crying, the, you know, Pharaoh's um, 
uh, daughter, the compassion she had, the sister's wise suggestion that she find a Hebrew uh, nurse to a mom to nurse the baby, the agreement between the two moms, which I think is just amazing, and um, and over this whole story, we said, "But God, how many of you know sometimes our circumstances seem impossible, but God." Say everybody, say, "But God, but God," and. Um, and all of it was woven together, and nothing was by chance. So now, today, we're going to talk about lessons we learn in the wilderness. Has anybody ever had a wilderness experience? Anybody? You know, it's like you've been in the wilderness. You know, if you live up in the high desert, you kind of understand the wilderness experience. Some of you came up here just for a short time, and, you know, it's, how many know it's easy to move up here, but it's hard to move away? You know, it's just... Uh, you know, financially, sometimes, uh, you know, the prices are a lot different down the hill than they are here. Uh, but I'm not sure who first said it, but it's the truth. Nothing is harder than learning how to say no at the right time in the right way for the right reasons. Does you, do you relate to that? Sometimes it's hard to say no. And here's the thing, that life is made up of choices. In fact, that's all life is, a series of choices that we make that lead us in one direction or another. And we make our choices, but listen to this. How many know that our choices end up making us? And we become defined by that, and, and it leads us, you know, in ending up, sometimes the littlest decisions end up in the biggest consequences. How many relate to that. You know, it's just a little decision, but it sure ends up affecting my life down the road. And sometimes a spur-of-the-moment decision radically alters the trajectory of life. I, I was thinking about this, uh, about how, um, you know, with car salesmen, and, you know, they, they talk you into, you know, you got to buy this car, and the interest rates are really low right now, and it's only, you know, 60 easy payments, and I'm thinking, you know, it sounds nice, you know, I, you know, that would be nice to have that new car, that new truck, and all that kind of stuff, but how many know that quick decision, that impulsive decision could end up <laughs> really costing you down the road, and so Moses is exhibit A of that truth, and so where are we in the story? It's interesting. This is very interesting to me. Exodus 2, verses 1 through 10, we, we talked about the circumstances concerning his birth. You know, he was born, you know, in the basket, in the, or, you know, they put him in a basket in the bulrushes, and, you know, Pharaoh's daughter takes him. He grows up in the palace. But it's very interesting between verse 10 and verse 11, it's a very significant thing that happens. We don't know about his teenage years. Now, how many know that the teenage years can be kind of interesting? You know, Dr. D uh, Dobson said, you know, you know, when you're raising kids, it's great, but when they get to the teenage years, you need to put them in a barrel, you know, and close the barrel and just put a little hole there, you know, so that uh, you can see them once in a while. But, uh, you know, because raising teenagers can be hard at times. You know, that's when your prayer life really amps into high gear. That's where your gray hairs come in. Some of you that have teenagers, you look, you're, yeah, I covered it really well this morning. But it's interesting, in verse 11 it says, one day after Moses had grown up. So it doesn't tell us anything in between. It says many years later when Moses had grown up. That's the way it says it. And that means that 40 years now have passed between those two verses. And by the time he's 40... You know, Moses looks and he acts like an Egyptian and he lives in the lap of luxury. Kind of nice. You know, if they had taken a poll at that time, named the next pharaoh, I'm sure that Moses would have come up to the top of the list. And uh, he would have been maybe the number one choice. But all of that is about to change. Hebrews 11.24 kind of amplifies where we are in this. It says this, it was by faith that when he grew up, watch this, this is very important, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, to me, that's kind of a teenage thing, too. You know, have you ever kids, you know, you have kids, and they don't want you to drop them off in front of the school. They want you to drop them off, you know, three blocks away, and don't, don't admit that you're my mom or my dad, you know, just, just stay that, you know, away from me that way, but... 
It says he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And this is the great refusal. And I want to give you kind of a highlight bullet point right here that you can write down or you can just kind of ponder on this week. Is Moses had to say no to the world before he could say yes to God. I want you to get that. I want you to think about that. Ponder on it today. Moses had to say no to the world before he could say yes to God. And it might seem like, uh, you know, he's a little ungrateful uh, because he was, it was Pharaoh's daughter that saved, one, saved him. You know, it was her who, you know, found him in a basket floating among the reeds among the uh, banks of the Nile. Uh, she is the one who paid a Hebrew mom, his mom, to be his nurse. She protected him from her father who wanted to kill all the Jewish babies. Uh, she must have been the one who took care of him and oversaw his education. And he probably learned the Egyptian language, probably went to university, the culture. And, and I'm sure she protected him from anybody knowing his heritage. And Pharaoh's daughter seems to me like she was a wise, compassionate, strong woman. And although she raised Moses, he refused to be known as her son. And it's very interesting. He didn't do that because of who she was, but because of the daughter of who she was. And here's the irony of it all. When he got to the height of his power, this is interesting. He just gave it up. And, and you know, you're looking at it from the outside. You're thinking, you had everything you would possibly want. You could have done whatever you wanted to do and you just refused it. You relinquished it. You walked away from it. And it was not an easy decision because he knew that no one would understand. Have you ever had to make that type of decision that, you know, if I make this decision, people will not understand why I'm making this decision. And Moses knew what he had to do. Though he looked Egyptian on the outside, he was 100% Jewish on the inside. And this is hugely important because it teaches us that you can't corrupt a man from the outside. It has to come from the inside where you make the choices. You can be around the most ungodly people around, but you still make the choice whether you're going to follow that or not. And so here's another bullet point just for you to think about it is you can change a culture, but you can't change a character. You know, you can change a culture. And Moses may have looked like a pagan, but on the inside, he was a servant of the living God. Now, I'm going to stop right there again. Is We don't know how long his mom had uh, in, in her life. Was it until he was weaned? Was it until he was 12? But somehow that mom at an early age... She instilled in him, you're a Jewish boy, you're, the, you're a king, you know, the most, you're, you're, your king is God, you're a son of the king, you, you are going to have destiny. Can you imagine, somehow she put in him that you have destiny written all over your life. And I want to encourage you, parents, you know, I, I see parents that say, oh, my kid's a little monster, my kid's a little terror, and you know, he's a little hellion on wheels or whatever. I want you to begin to change the dialogue about that child. I want you to begin to change the narrative and the, the story about that child, that you begin to speak destiny into that child. You begin to speak, you know, no matter what the world throws at you, you are a young man of God. You are a young daughter of God. God has destiny for you. And I, I, I just, boy, this just really jumps out of me. And so when Moses made it his choice, it cost him for the next 40 years of his life. Think about that. So Exodus 2, verses 11, I want you to get down there in your Bible. Uh, it, his story begins to unfold. And he had three vital lessons that he needed to learn out in the desert, out in the wilderness, before he would be ready to leave Egypt, lead Egypt. Now, how many know that God takes you places in desert experiences to prepare you for what God wants to do in your life? Can you, you just say amen to that? And so lesson number one is, and I want you to write this down, and, uh, or you can take a picture of the screen, however you want to do that. But don't get ahead of God. 
Now, let's just be honest in this room. How many in this room have gotten ahead of God before in this room? Okay, uh, about four or five of you. Okay, so uh, I, I see that. Let's to go down to chapter 2, verse 11 and verse number 12. Many years later, when Moses had grown up, okay, very interesting. You know, it just kind of goes from verse 10 to verse 10, uh, 11. He went out to visit his own people. And you have to see that part, his own people. He knew that they were his people. The Hebrews, and, and saw how hard they were forced to work. And during his visit, he saw an Egyptian beating one of his fellow Hebrews. Fellow Hebrews. Okay? I want you to just see that. Look at verse number 12. After looking in all directions. Can you see that? He's about ready to do something bad. You know, you're looking around. Is anybody here? Okay. After looking in all directions to make sure that no one was watching Moses, Moses killed the Egyptian and he hid the body in the sand. Let me just say that wasn't God's way. Okay. God had a plan for him, but it wasn't God's way. Moses got ahead of himself. Go down with me to verse 13. The next day, when Moses went out to visit his people again, he saw two Hebrew men fighting. Why are you beating up your friend? And notice what he says. Moses said to the one who had just started the fight. And the man replied, Who appointed you to be our prince and judge? And watch this. Are you going to kill me like you did that Egyptian yesterday? Now, how many know your sins will find you out? And, um, and, and look at verse um, 14. So you saw verse 14. Then Moses was afraid, thinking, everybody read it with me, everybody knows what I did. Now, at first glance, this, this seems noble, at first glance, who would fault him for, you know, standing up for his people, but it, if it was so noble, why did he hide the body? Okay, it, it wasn't God's way. Moses got ahead of himself. And, and look at verse 13 and, you know, 14, um, and I want you to see it here. And it says here, the next day when Moses went out to visit people, well, we read that, okay, let me, I, I got it behind on myself here. And so I want you to understand what happened. And in order to understand what happened, we need to add one more fact that's only seen in Acts chapter 7, verse 25. And it says this, Moses assumed, everybody say the word assumed. His fellow Israelites would realize that God sent him to rescue them, but they didn't. Okay? They didn't. They didn't, they didn't see it. You know, if he had come, I'm here to rescue you, I'm your deliverer, uh, but the people didn't see it yet. Okay? And, and we get ahead of God. It wasn't God's timing. And so, uh, you know what? Here's another bullet point you can just throw up there because I think it's, it's a, an important lesson. Uh, we don't want a hothead as a leader. Okay, how many know that you get a hothead as a leader, it causes a problem? And so Moses thought his own people would realize that he, God was using him to rescue him, but they did not. And evidently, you know, God had been stirring on his heart because he's going down to see his people. He's going back to see the Hebrew people. And when he saw his people, he knew he had to do something about it. And the Lord was raising up Moses but he wasn't yet ready. I, I think sometimes it takes some people a long time to get ready. I see some of these young pastors, they grow real quickly, and their churches grow, and they have all these people coming, but all of a sudden you see failure that comes in their, the wake of their, because they haven't matured yet. They had personality, they were able to attract a crowd, but they, they haven't gone through the fire yet. And so, you know, here he, you know, Lord was raising up Moses, but he has another 40 years to go, to be exact, before God would be ready to use him. I'm thinking 40 years. Come on. And when we move ahead of God, we say foolish things and we make foolish mistakes. Okay, how many's ever done that? You know? And again, the question is, how many have ever done dumb? Okay. How many is sitting next to somebody who's done dumb? <laughs> and, and, you know, Moses had no right to kill that Egyptian. And he was wrong to hide his body 
and his folly guaranteed the Jews would not follow him. And who could blame them? Because you don't want a hothead to be your leader. And at that moment, Moses made a life-changing, impulsive decision. And I think the Lord was in it. And even though he acted out of fear, his journey to Midian was all part of God's plan to prepare him. So here's the next bullet point I want to give you, is that God knows what he's doing, even when nothing around us makes sense. Come on. You ever just look at your life and say, man, my life doesn't make sense right now. You know, some of you looked at, why has God brought me to this high desert? You know, why am I here? Especially yesterday when it was 108 degrees outside. It's supposed to be hotter today. Now, there's a principle here that we need to ponder. Because God knows what he's doing even when he doesn't make sense. And Moses appeared to be an abject failure. He was. You ever just look at your life and say, man, I'm such a failure. I've messed up and I've made so many mistakes. Or is it just me? How many in this room have looked at your life and said, man, I have failed? And, and he's on the lamb. He's running from the law. He's heading into the desert to escape Pharaoh's justice. And, and if this was all we had, we would think Moses was a typical zealot. And, you know, he was too impulsive to be trusted in a moment of crisis and and as a matter of fact, that's exactly, you know, what was going on on that day. But the Lord was going to send him 40 years into the desert. I just want you to process this. 40 years with the sheep was going to run the pride right out of him. You know, 40 years, and now let me just tell you where Midian is. Uh, go up to the northwest corner of Saudi Arabia. And I have flown over that territory, okay, and on my way to certain places in the world. Go up to that area, and there's nothing there. It is, you talk about hot here. I mean, it's 120 in the shade right there. And 40 years with a sheep, God is going to send him out 40 years with a sheep. And now everything changed for Moses. Gone were his palace privileges. No longer is he going to be voted most likely to succeed. And he's traded his life of ease for this desert living. And the palace is forever behind him. He is going to live in tents the rest of his life. It sounds so wonderful, right? <laughs> Moses left Egypt and he never looked back. We have a hard time with this concept. We want one foot in the world, and we want one foot in the church. We want to do two things at once. And God says, you know what? I'm asking that you surrender all to me. And if it means being out in the middle of the desert where there's nothing and it's barren, then that's your, my will for you. Then you just need to accept what God has put into your life. Now, if you're a prosperity teaching, preaching, love, all that, you know, uh, you know, God give it to me and give it to me by faith and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I'm going to just tell you, I'm going to mess with you just a little because I do believe that God puts us in situations where we need, that we don't have, that we have to pray and we have to seek the Lord. And Hebrews 11:25 kind of explains this decision. It says, he chose, everybody say he chose, to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeing pleasures of sin. He chose to be mistreated with God's people rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. His heart was right, but his methods were wrong. I see a lot of people like that. Their heart's right, but they just don't have it down as far as how they're doing it. And he had not earned his right to deliver the people. In fact, the people thought he was a hothead. They don't want him around. So God allows him to run. He runs to Midian, trying to get as far away as he can from Egypt. You have to look at a map where that is. Because the Sinai, you know, Egypt is up at the top there. And then the Sinai Peninsula. And then on, you have a little body of water. And you go across that. You can go across from the top on land. 
But you have to look at a map and just see this is on the backside of nowhere. This is with nothing. And you can imagine that he felt like it was the most desolate place on the earth, a desert wasteland where no one except, you know, uh, uh, for some nomadic tribes that lived there. Where had he gone wrong? Had he gone wrong? And here's the thing in life. Timing is everything. Moses wasn't ready to rescue anybody, especially himself. How many? Some people, I'm ready to rescue the world. Well, why don't you rescue yourself first? <laughs> I see these young pastors, oh, I'm coming in to rescue the world. And I'm thinking, yeah, you probably need to work on your own heart and your own attitude before you go out and, and rescue the world. And so I want to just give you this little bullet point in life. Let's say it together. In life, timing is everything. First, he was angry. Anybody ever have to deal with your anger issues? Okay, and then he ran away. There are some people that just run away from a problem. They have a problem, it's time to run away. That's the way they are. And we can imagine his thoughts, but, you know, thinking, well, I, I, I meant to do good. I, I, you know, I was killing that guy just to be helpful. You know, he's beating up one of my kinsmen, and the Egyptians are tyrants, and, and you know, they, they're making us work as slaves, and he could have gone on and on, and, you know, you deserve to be free, and... Don't you understand that God is using me for this? And, you know, yeah, but it wasn't God's timing. And in life, timing is everything. And God didn't call him to kill the Egyptian and hide him. That's just, it was not God's will. And, and by the way, again, why did he hide him? Because it was wrong. If this was God's way, you don't need to hide the evidence. Okay? You ever go up to a kid, you know, one of your kids, and, you know, they just did something, and, you know, they're, they're saying, I didn't eat the cookie, and there's cookies all over there, you know, and it's like, you know, they're trying to hide the evidence, and, you know, it's like, come on, anybody relate to that? Proverbs, you know, uh, it's kind of interesting, because Moses had to deal with his impulse issues. Anybody ever have to, are you impulsive? Anybody in this room impulsive? Uh, you know, you, you do things, you buy things without really thinking it through, and, um, you, you know, I know a lot of you are. And at this point in his life, he lacks one issue here. It's he lacks self-control. And Solomon would, would talk about this 500 years ago in Proverbs uh, chapter 16, verse 32. Watch this. He says, better to be patient than powerful, better to have self-control than to conquer a city. And I want you to see that. It's better to have patience than to be powerful. It's better to have self-control than to conquer a city. But, of course, we don't really believe that. You know, which, which would you rather be called, a patient man or a powerful man? You know, the, the world rewards warriors, and the patient man ends up changing the diapers and taking out the trash. You know, you know what I mean. And it's not much of a contest. We want to be powerful. And Solomon further defines a patient man with one who controls his temper. That we're to be people that have a handle on, that we're controlling our anger issues that we've got going. You know, I remember God had to deal with some anger issues in me when I was younger. I, I remember when someone even defined me, he's an angry man. And I thought, I don't want that, Lord, I don't want that. I want you to change that, God. Please change that. And how many know that God has to take you to the backside of the desert to change some of those things in you? And so Solomon says, you know what? God wants a patient man who controls his temper and doesn't get angry. And, and he makes the right decisions at the right time in the right place. So God does this. He takes Moses 40 years into the wilderness. That's a long time. Has anybody lived in the high desert 40 years or more? You have? It's a long time, brother. You know, it's a long time. You know, when you love to be down in Laguna Beach, you know, preaching at that church down there that's right by the water, and, you know, you go outside and you don't turn into a hamburger, you know, just by frying you right there in the sidewalk, and, 
You know, and, and I'm thinking, how long will it take God, you and me? You know, how long will it take to get the world out of us, that wilderness thinking in, out of us? How long will it take? And so God used a tyrant king. He used the bulrushes in the Nile River, a thoughtful sister, a caring mother, Pharaoh's daughters, you know, an Egyptian learning system, plus 40 years of tending sheep out in the middle of the wilderness. It was only then and only then that God was ready to fulfill his destiny. I saw a bumper sticker the other day. It said this, God is moving. Be patient. Actually, it was on the back of a truck in traffic. God is patient, you know. Uh, God is moving. Be patient. And, and I think that's really true. You know, sometimes when I don't see it, God is moving. And I need to pray for God's patience in my life. And our greatest enemy is not the other person. Our greatest enemy is when I look in the mirror and see myself. Come on. That God, you're not done with me yet, but I still have flaws. And I still have imperfections. And I'm still weak and I need God's strength and help. And that leads me to a simple question today. Are you willing to wait for God? Are you willing? Here's the second lesson. I want you to write these down. Okay, wilderness lessons. Number two, serve where God puts you. Okay? Uh, so now our hero is out in the middle of the desert. He's on the backside of the desert. So let's just make it. He might as well be on the backside of the moon. And though he was a shepherd in the desert, he could no longer help his people. He, no more than the man on the moon, you know, he, he couldn't do it. And, and he can't go back to Egypt. If he does, he'll get arrested. And what good would, you know, that do for the Hebrews? A dead man can't deliver his people. So he knows God's up to something, but kind of at that point, you, I think if you've been there for 40 years now, I think at that point you'd think, ah. Oh, Probably, that's not going to happen. You know, I messed up. So God sent me to the end of the desert. And uh, now he finds in himself, by a well, where seven daughters come with their sheep to water their sheep. Kind of an interesting story. And some shepherds come up, and they don't think that these daughters belong there. You're not allowed there, so they rent them off. Now, Moses does a very noble thing. He runs off the shepherd, but I think it's a pretty cool thing. At least he didn't kill him. You know, his anger is subsiding. So the, the, the shepherdess go home to their dad, the seven daughters, and they tell him about what happens. And he goes, well, why didn't you invite him over for dinner? Look at verse number 21. Moses accepted the invitation, and he settled there with him. In time, everybody say in time. Okay, Ruel gave Moses his daughter, Zipporah, to be his wife. And later she gave birth to a son, and Moses named him Gershon, for he explained, I have been a foreigner in a foreign land. Now that's the least we can do for him. And it sets the stage for the next 40 years of Moses' life. He's about to become a family man. So our hero will be tending sheep for the next four decades. Some of you are thinking, oh, I could just, if I could just get through the next two years, you know, and then I retire and I'll be happy. But no, no, he's already 40 years old. And now he's out on the backside of the desert and God says, I'm setting you up for the next four decades. His impulsive mistake in killing the Egyptian has permanently detoured his life to where he never thought it would be. Are you, are you guys following all this? Trying to tell the story. And, you know, I have written in my notes, but God. Everybody say, but God. This is, this is the key to the whole story, but God. You know, as, as messed up as things might get in your life, but God. And I wrote this in my note, another little bullet point. It is, all of life is a school, and every man is my teacher. All of life is a school, and every, Moses is now enrolled in the school of wilderness, the school of hard knocks. Anybody ever been there? Okay. Except he's not going to receive his degree for 40 more years. 
Now, you talk about being a long time going to school. I know some of you, you know, you, you, you got through, you know, 12 years you went to school and graduated with your diploma, and you're still in college 12 years later. You know, you're taking classes here and classes there, but you're talking about 40 years now. And so the first thing he must learn is that he needs to be content with tending sheep. And though he was forgotten in Egypt, he now has a family that God wants him to take care of. Take care of your wife, take care of your son, out in the middle of the desert, right where you are, blossom where you are. And he becomes intimately acquainted with the desert. People don't live, you know, it's kind of interesting, I can talk like this because we live in the desert. And the longer you live here, the more you appreciate it. You know, because when you see it from afar, it doesn't look very good. But when you get up close, the desert is so beautiful. I love the desert. I love that God has me in Asperia, in New Life Church. I used to drive by, uh, before I lived here, I used to drive by Asperia. And I turned to my wife, because my brother lived in Barstow. I said, oh, wouldn't you like to live up here? And she'd always go, what? <laughs> How many know from the freeway, it doesn't look that good? <laughs> And it's like, out in the desert? You're kidding me, right? But she loves the desert. And so I can talk this way because we live out in the desert. And he becomes intimately acquainted with the desert. And that will stand him in good stead as he leads his children and his wife through the wilderness. But that isn't, but that is far in his future, the further ministry that he has. And for now, his wife is his life, his son, and this big herd of sheep. And um, he'll have plenty of time to think. How many know that God puts us in places where you're going to have a lot of time to think? And it seems like, okay, does anybody ever feel this? God had forgotten him. I'm out in the middle of the desert. It might seem like God had was punishing him, but in reality, God was preparing him. This is in my devotions this morning. Interesting verse. Isaiah 38, 16. It says, Lord, your discipline is good, for it leads to life and health, and you restore my health and allow me to live. Some of you say, I don't understand why God's allowing me to be here. Well, you know what? It's good because it's making me live. And this verse, I think you all need to ponder it because perhaps some of my troubles have God's fingerprints right on it for good in my life. And we like to say, we like to hear other people say, bloom where you're planted. That's good advice. But what if you don't like the soil? What if you've been planted in manure? Come on. <laughs> you know, it's kind of interesting. God says, okay, Grow where you are, bloom where you are, blossom where you are. And by the way, manure makes good fertilizer. Come on. Manure makes good fertilizer. And all of us, you know, we, we'll, we'll spend time in the wilderness. And here's the question we must face. Are you willing to serve the Lord in your wilderness experience? Are you willing to serve in the shadows when God has it exalted and put you up in the front? Are you willing just to do it with joy? So this brings us to the final lesson. Everybody say final lesson. Okay. The landing gears are down, but it's a long runway. Now notice this. Lesson number three. Trust in, say it together, trust in God's plan. Now let's go to Exodus chapter 2 verse 23. Years passed. Okay, everybody say years passed. That's important. And the king of Egypt died, but the Israelites continued to groan under their burden of slavery. They cried out for help. They cry, their cry rose up to God, and God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant promise to Abraham. Just say that with me. He remembered his covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he looked down on the people of Israel, and he knew it was time. Everybody say that with me. He knew it was time. Here's the thing. No king lives forever. 
The king who wanted to kill Moses was gone. Not even the worst tyrant sits on the throne forever. And no wonder the people groaned under their slave labor. They groaned, they wept, they prayed to God. They begged God, Lord, what are you going to do? What are you doing? Lord, you said you're going to deliver us. God, you said, you know, you're going to take us. We've been in Egypt for 400 years now. Come on. Now, we're not just talking 80 years. We're talking 400. We're, we're, we've been under oppression for 400 years. Lord, you promised to bring us home to our own land. Where are you, Lord? What, what, where are you doing? I don't see what you're doing. God, have you forgotten us? And that prayer touched God, God's heart. And I'm going to tell you, it touched God's heart. And he said, now is the time. Martin Luther said this, we ought to take God's promises and fling them back in his face. Lord, you said you would do this. Lord, you said you would save my son. Lord, you said you would save my daughter. You know, Lord, you said you made a promise. How, Lord, you know, are you going to be, you know, God, if you don't do what you said you're going to do. Spurgeon noted this. He said, God loves to be believed in. And I think all of us love to be believed in. You know, we want to be believed in. So why is God any different? And the prayer that changes the world begins and builds on God, what God has already revealed. And when you pray, you stand on God's word. The prayer that changes the world begins and builds on what God has revealed. And you just stand on that. And they were flinging God's promise. I, I'm flinging God's promises back in his face about California. That, that this is not a lost land. That God is going to redeem and restore it. So notice the phrases in this passage. God heard, God saw, and God knew. And I want to add one more phrase. It's in verse 24. It's God remembered. I love it. It says in, in verse 24, God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant promise. Now I'm going to give you a little bullet point and I'll come back to it in just a bit, but it is this, that Moses left the winning side for the losing side. Very interesting. I don't want to be part of a losing team. And, you know, Moses went out in the desert for 40 years. He's now 80 years old. And when the text says that God remembered, it's telling us that Moses isn't the hero today. God is the hero. And this is the second time I've said this to you last week, that God is the hero of this story. Now, listen to me very carefully. Because there's a number of you in here that have retired or are about to retire. It's taken 80 years to prepare Moses to do one of the greatest events of his life. Moses had been studying for 40 years in the school of wilderness, and at a time when others are retiring, he is about to change world history. Come on. You know, and he doesn't even have a clue that God is about ready to use him to change world history. I want to come back to Hebrews eleven twenty four. It says this, it was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, Refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now I want you to consider what that means. He made a choice at the height of his power. He had everything to gain in Egypt. He gave it all up. He stood at the steps of the Egyptian throne that he could have taken over. He left the winning side for the losing side. And it wasn't fashionable to follow the Lord at that time. It wasn't fashionable to be a worshiper of the Lord. He threw away the glory of Egypt to join God's suffering people. Notice Hebrews, again, chapter 11, verse 25, offers this strange explanation. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt. For he was... I like this, for he was looking ahead to his great reward. Moses, are you nuts? Have you lost your mind? Has anybody ever said that to you? You're crazy. 
you want to help your people, probably it's better to do it from within the courts of Pharaoh and, and not, you know, you know, it's better to be one of them and then try to influence from the inside. So why would he do this? And the Bible simply says he was looking ahead to his reward. Moses did some mental calculating. The glories of Egypt amounted to nothing compared to the glory of God. I like that. He chose God's way, and maybe it didn't have as much applause and much fame and as, as much appeal, but he chose it because he's looking down at the end there that God says, you're going to have more glory doing this than you would have been in the, in the palace of Egypt. It's always easier to stay in Egypt, isn't it? I like posh. Anybody like posh? I like camping, but my wife doesn't, so we do glamping now. You know, we'll camp as long as we have a trailer. You know, so we do glamping, so that works for us. But I like my own bed. I like nice things. Come on. Some of you watching right now, I mean... You know, you kind of look at it and say, yeah, those Americans, they don't get it. You know, there's places that they don't have their power on right now. They don't have water, running water. They don't have some of the blessings that we have. You know, we're so blessed. You know, we're so blessed. You know, when I used to go to camp, I loved all the kids going to camp. Young people, I call them young people. They go to camp and, and oh, man, I just have such good memories at camp. There used to be a song that we would sing, I have decided to follow Jesus. And it, it would be the world behind me, the cross before me, I have decided to follow Jesus. And, and, and I just think that's awfully, it's amazing. And it leads to this final question, and I'm going to have the worship team, you know, if you'd just come up here at this time. Are you willing to follow Jesus? Are you willing to follow Jesus, even if the road leads to a cross. See, did Moses make the right decision when he made the great refusal? Yes. Yes. It didn't seem that way in year 17 at the wilderness, though. And it probably didn't seem that way when he turned 78 and thinking, man, I've wasted a lot of years. You know, not realizing in two years God is just going to totally use him. And here's a question. Did, did Moses ever think he had wasted his life? Probably. But I want to just say this, and there's another bullet point for you. Waiting time is never wasted time if you're waiting on the Lord. Will you say that with me? Some of you need to tweet this, put it on Facebook. Some of you need to just take a picture. Waiting time is never wasted time if you're waiting on the Lord. And I, I would like you to write over this whole passage, chapter 2. But God. But God. Do, do you see it? God had bigger plans. God saw the bigger picture. God knew what he was doing. I'm sure that Moses felt like, you know, my life has been a failure. But God. Little did he know what God is stirring up and what was going to get going. And Moses was doing God's will even when he was tending sheep out in the middle of the desert. That was part of God's will. You know, just as much as when he stood before the people and said, let my people go. Now let me just talk about two things. First, a bullet point. Do not despise the value of daily obedience. Moses just went out in the desert, kept doing what he was doing, just being obedient. And second thing, the road to the promised land. That's important. Because when we think of Moses, we remember his courage before Pharaoh, but the road to Pharaoh runs through the desert. The road to Pharaoh, it doesn't, you know, it, you know it's, we think, oh, you know, it's just an easy road, but he goes 40 years in the desert. And the road to the promised land in our life goes through the desert. 
and there's no other way to get there. God knows who you are and where you are. God sees the big picture. And I, I want to just say, for some of you that are at that age where you're thinking about retiring, I'm just going to throw it out there because God says, I'm not done with you yet. I'm not done with you. You think, well, I'm going to retire. People say, well, aren't you retired? What am I going to do? Sit at home in my rocking chair and have you come over and feed me with a straw? You know, I, I, I want to stay busy for God. Another bullet point. We're getting there. God doesn't keep time the way we do. This is a big bullet point. How many of you have prayed, oh God, give it to me and give it to me now. God doesn't keep track with, he doesn't keep track of time the way we do. Sometimes we say God is never early and never late. He's always on time. And I like that. Okay, but 80 years is a long time to wait. But God doesn't keep time the way we do. You need to trust him. Trust your next step. So what have we learned today? Don't get ahead of God. Everybody say, don't get ahead of God. Serve God where God puts you. And thirdly, trust in God's plan. You're not where you are in life by accident today. Serve the Lord with gladness. Until God says, the time has come. The time has come. Next week, we're going to talk about the burning bush, and that's a whole other story. But Moses is about to discover his calling at 80 years of age. This is what you're called to do, Moses. 80 years. Some of you thinking, oh, 80 years. Well, guess what? Waiting time is never wasted time if you're waiting on the Lord. Waiting time is never wasted. Will you stand with me, please? I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. and that was 10 years ago. Okay. And um, then you ended up here, you know, and God is just you. And God led me to be a part with you. Yeah. <laughs> and you, and you've been a, a blessing beyond yeah. Your, yeah. your knowledge. So how old are you? Now I'm 75 years old. So Moses was 80. God hasn't even started with you yet. That's right. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah, he's just getting going. You know, can you imagine? Your greatest calling is yet to come. That's right. Wow. I believe it. And and as I was sitting there thinking, if he goes ahead and brings me up, because so many, as I was walking in, said, Pastor told us that your wife has been totally healed. And I went, I'm not sure. He said, totally. I think what he said was, God's healing power and touch is being demonstrated continuously with one doctor and another doctor, one test, another test. No test, no testimony. But when they did the surgery for Deanna, the, the doctor realized, and it was funny, she had a couple of wounds, one really tiny one, because the doctor promised to do this arthroscopically. So there was indication he tried. And then there's this 10-inch scar where he ended up. And as he was doing and going and discovering and 
Then he began to look at another part of the body that needed to be fixed and another part. He began to do more and more things as he was doing. And so when he got to the part of looking at the lymph nodes, all he told us was that he had removed five and they were all cancerous. But when he met with us this week, he told us that when he looked around and saw the uh, metastasizing that had happened, he, uh, he kept going until they were all normal size. So he removed 19, five of which were cancerous. And he said, I, I believe that we've got it all. I have to tell you, you are going to have chemo. You are going to have to have a port, and I'll put it in for you. Uh, you're probably going to lose your hair. Uh, and he's giving all of this you information. You can be twins. The true. <laughs> for the first time, I told her I'd shave mine. She said, big deal. <laughs> so as we were listening to that, he turned around and he looked at us and he said, you know, this is pretty serious. And because neither one of us are crying. We're just looking at the fact that we just heard a praise God, and that's what we're going to hear, and that's what we're going to stay with, because today is the first day of the rest of our life. The rest of it's gone. So it's the first day of the rest of my life. And so when he looked at us, he said, you know, I'm going to send you to an oncologist. He may or may not want to do chemo, and they may or may not need a part of so, But if they do, I can put that in. And I said, do you really want to do this? He said, if anybody's going to touch your wife, I want it to be me, surgically. I went, me too, me too. But you have to realize somebody's been touching her all along. The battle is not over. We're not sure where we're going to go and how much of a fight Deanna will have to have. But I can tell you, she's one fighter. She really is. In fact... She sent me off today. The only thing I was told I could do is pick up the crock pot, put it on the counter. She's going to prepare something for herself, for the, a meal for the very first time since she's been in the hospital. And you're all invited afterwards. You got that right. <laughs> and, and I got to thinking of all of the meals that have come, what a blessing they have been. And Deanna texted last night, uh, Nancy, uh, with over the coordination of meals to our home which what a blessing yeah. you know what y'all cooked as if we were an army anyway so uh, um, we had plenty of leftovers and then we froze stuff so we're, we're going to be good for a while but she said you know what the Lord has done so much strength is back tell everybody thank you but we're, we're going to be okay from here and so Nancy takes it back but we're committed until August and I looked at Deanna and I said, you know what? We don't know what chemo is going to do to you. and We don't know how it's going to affect you. So those who were involved and wanted to, we texted back to Nancy. Okay, if we need it, it will be there. And thank you for us knowing it was there. But thank you for all that you have done. But it is your prayer that has saved the sick. It is your prayer that has returned the miracle that we have. And as I was walking up and I realized this is the first day of the rest of my life. So what I want you to do, looking straight at me, nobody bow your head. This is the most important decision you'll ever make. If any of you are not sure that you would go and be with Jesus tomorrow if he were to call you or this afternoon if he would call you, I want you to slip your hand up and say, I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. Just slip your hand up. Because Jesus did this in front of a crowd, an angry crowd. Thank you. Thank you. How many others? Slip your hand up. Th thank you. This is what it's all about. If you're not sure, thank you. Raise your hand. Come on, people. This is going home time. It's going home time. All right? Now I want you to pray with me. Repeat after me. Dear Jesus, Dear Jesus I have really messed up. I have really messed but you have never failed. Everything that has happened in my life has brought me to where I am right now. I know you are a miracle working God. You have touched this pastor's wife. But more than that and greater than that is the miracle of salvation because the healing you have brought to Deanna will eventually fail. She will die. But the miracle you're doing in my life will never fail. I am now born again. 
And I will live forever with you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, if you need prayer afterwards, uh, elders will be up here. They'd love to pray with you. Let's lift our hands as I put a blessing on you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift his countenance on you and give you peace. And together we ask this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you. Have a good day. If you're visiting first time, uh, see the information table at the back as you leave today. God bless you.